Welcome to the Hot Stove Society radio show on Cairo. I'm Tom Douglas, the owner of several of Seattle's fine joints here uh, in downtown Seattle and in Ballard. Serious takeout in Ballard, 52nd and 14th Northwest. And, of course, uh, in downtown Seattle, we are down there at the Sea Town Diner and Fish Fry uh, down there in the north end of the end area. I'm not allowed to say in the Pike Place Market. We're not in the market, per se, but we're in the north end area of the market. And um, we have combined our operations down there, Etta's, the Rub Shack, and Seatown. And, of course, uh, Dahlia Bakery is getting ready for its grand opening on June 2nd. We're look- very much looking forward to that. Uh, so uh, that's what I'm that doing out very here. Exciting, Tom. Chef, uh, welcome into our abode from your home office. Thank you. I'm uh, Thierry Rotterdam, the chef in a hat. And uh, we have Luke in Madison Valley open right now with a beautiful patio half covered. It's uh, very successful. And next week, we're opening indoors. Nice. I drove so, by your patio, as you like to say, your patio. Uh, I drove by <laughs> it the other day. It looks good. You did a nice job getting a little bit of a cover on there. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, you know, it's, uh, my, my son is a wood worker and, uh, uh, you know, burned the wood, did the old Japanese style of burning the wood and all that. Did a really nice job. He did, I, I like it. I like what he did. How much did he charge you? Do you feel like you got uh, a fair deal? Really, I, uh, well, you know, when when it's family, there is advantages and there is other advantages. <laughs> but no, um, you know, we got to feed the kids. That's that's part of the game. That's part of it, huh? That's the charge. Uh, yeah. We have a big show for you today. Lots going on. We're going to talk crab, 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 crab today. That's exciting. Um, uh, we have some plans to mention for Mother's Day and memories of moms. Cooking. Shoto Nakajima is here to tell us about his new restaurant, Taku, and also maybe a little bit. We're going to do two, I think, with him, Pamela. Yeah, we are. Two segments. One about his time on uh, Top Chef and the other about his new restaurant, Taku, uh, here in Seattle. Uh, It's it's, uh, going to be very exciting. And Pamela, near and dear to her heart, she is the mustard queen of the world. We're going to do a little segment on mustard because I feel like it's an undervalued ingredient. Uh, It's one of those things that sits in people's fridge forever until they have a hot dog in the summertime, and then all of a sudden they use mustard. But uh, it's, really? it can be used in so many different ways, and so we're going to discuss oh, yeah. that a bit today. Like I said, crab is on the in in the pot today uh, with the folks from Fathom Seafood bringing us live crabs to cook. And finally, we're going to wrap up the show with our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. And uh, I'm excited. I don't know who our third contestant is going to be, but I got crushed last week, so I'm excited to make a comeback this week. I'm not going <laughs> to take this sitting down. Oh, if you're wait. one of our Facebook Live watchers, you can tell. Uh, you can. You can. What's the word I want? You can. Uh, they, they know I don't sit down. I, I do this show standing up, like I do as a chef. When you're a chef, you don't sit down to cook. You stand, and we're cooking live right here on the radio. All right, our taste of the week this week, uh, Terry, mine is, I just made it yesterday for a class, and it's, uh, it was just delicious. And I, I um, not to toot my own horn, but it is delicious. So I take a, regular, your own I yeah. take a regular pie dough, right? And then I, uh, I add black pepper and a good amount of black pepper to it. So I'm ma- basically I'm making a black pepper crust. And then in another pan, I am taking... Either wedges or I've I've taken fennel bulb and I've sliced it so that I have nice little julienne of fennel, right? And you can leave right. the core in and do thin little wedges, and that's very pretty. Or you could just cut them all up, cut the core out, and just do a pile like you would brown onions, a pile of fennel 
Uh, and so once that's cooled off, once I caramelize it nice and golden brown, once that's cooled off, so I've got my little roll out, maybe a three-inch circle of fennel, I mean of dough. That's a typical pie dough thickness. And then I brush it with an egg wash. And then I put my fennel on top of that, and I bake it at 425 degrees for about 15, 18 minutes. And it is, I, I did this because I felt like the class I was teaching yesterday didn't, all the food we were going to eat was going to take too long. They're going to be like an hour and a half into class before they get their first bite. So I decided to make this little poo-poo that they could make right away with me, and then they'd have something to eat, get something in their belly while they're sipping wine and doing that. So, so. Be, so besides fennel and olive oil, anything else? Well, the fennel is caramelized in just a touch of sugar, a touch right. of uh, an aperitif like a Fernet Branca or Puntame or something like that. And then uh, it's... Just- yeah, uh, and then it's just uh, cooked down into a caramelized pile of deliciousness, popped uh, room temperature onto that dough, and then into the oven for 15, 18, 20 minutes, somewhere in that day. So it keeps area. caramelizing in the oven? Yeah, not That's a whole nice. lot, but it's it, you do have to do that caramelization on, on the stove. And I'm just saying, it was such a nice little treat to have with the wine uh, as we started out our cooking class, and then, you know, just it, it puts everybody in a better mood. Rather than sitting yeah. there and getting hungry for an hour and a half before dinner's ready when you when you take a class sometimes. Good thing nothing to remember was, for our classes. Yeah. What, yeah what's your taste of the week, Chefy? Um, pineapple. Um, I know it's not very uh, special. Pineapple. Whatever, but uh, <laughs> Kathy, Kathy went to Met Market in, uh, on Mercer Island and brought back a pineapple. I was like, pineapple? I don't remember having that on the list. You know, because we talk about the list for an hour before she goes shopping because I want to make sure. We get everything. Well, you are a controlling uh, sort, aren't yeah. you? No, 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 no. She, oh, she, she yes, 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 yes. She partakes too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, um, she brought back a pineapple that was smelly to start with. You know, you, you, you turn the pineapple upside down and you smell it, and it was beautiful smell. It was perfectly ripe. And, you know, besides eating it raw to start with, which is super good for you, in case you don't know the the. You know the pineapples is really good for you. Good enzyme, uh, good you know good or good 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 fruit. In I know general. it's good for you. You know why I know? Because yesterday I had a why? blue Hawaiian pineapple slushy at the Sea Town <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> That's how I know it's good for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as, as, I'm sure the smoothie is delicious. Um, but anyway, I was just thinking about the different thing to do with that. And uh, when I saw that we were going to do crab on the show, I was like, yeah. Do a nice little pineapple salsa, you know, with vinegar, diced uh, ripe pineapple. It needs to be ripe. So it melts in your mouth and has that beautiful, uh, you know, piquant a little bit from the um, pineapple, a little bit of chili, and uh, put that under the crab, and you'll have a wonderful dish, you yeah. know, with some green, some greens around it. Very fresh, very refreshing. And, and right now, actually, it's the end of the season of, the winter pineapple, you know, so, I mean, I'm pretty sure they grow them all year round now, but, um, you know, in, in natural process, this is about the end of the season. So that's when they're very ripe. Yeah. So anyway, I recommend Met Market on Mercer Island had some beautiful pineapple yesterday. <laughs> yesterday. Now they're all gone. The but, uh, We only bought one. So. Pineapple is one of those things you just have to be patient. And you're better yeah. off, in my mind, letting it get too golden than not yeah. golden enough as it ripens. Absolutely. Because if you have to cut out a little bit of stuff that got too ripe, fine. But the underripe thing is just not good. Not yeah. good. Let's celebrate mom in our next segment. We've got lots going on. We're going to talk about mom. 
I, I uh, just wrote a newsletter last night for my, my group and uh, talked a little bit about uh, what made me smile yesterday. We're going to do that in a minute here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's nice to be back here in the Hot Stove Society kitchen. That's where I'm standing, chefs in the chapeau, coming to us, zooming to us from Madison Valley. Now, yeah, let's give them a plug. The stock is not high enough. I know. They're, they're, nobody knows what Zooming is anymore. <laughs> and, you know, uh, there's a um, fabulous song from my youth, my mid-age, middle-aged youth, uh, by um, Aretha Franklin. Who's Zooming who? Take another look, baby. Who's Zooming who? Okay. Remember that? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember the song. Come on, Hinkley. You know that's a oh, classic. Oh, she needs some royalties for that from Zoom. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about mom. I, I told you before the break that I made uh, I made myself smile twice yesterday. Uh, one time was I got on the website at France Chocolates, and as I do for many uh, different little occasions throughout the year, whether it's her birthday or Easter or Christmas or whatever, she loves the France milk chocolate salted caramels. And I send her a pound of those. And then, uh, you know, I have a bunch of sisters and nieces and nephews back there. And she has to hide them. She hides them in her buffet. I know where she hides them. And she hides them in her buffet. Uh, and so uh, um, she keeps them there. And then she just goes in and has a couple a day until they're all gone. And that's it. And then the other thing that made me smile was, you know, last summer we missed her 90th birthday celebration because of COVID. Everyone was on lockdown. And now that I'm vaccinated and she's vaccinated, I got on the Alaska Airlines website yesterday and bought a ticket to go see my mom. It's the first time in a couple of years, so uh, wow. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, so two big smiles for Mom's Day for me this week. How about you, Chef? Well, I wrote on our newsletter and uh, promotional letter, I guess, for the uh, menu box we're going to do for, Valent- for Mother's Day. I wrote, all mothers of the world should be celebrating all year round. Uh, one day a year, they should be specially honored and thank for the achievement, you, you the achievement. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Nice. You better you know, do some like, thanking. Yeah. Yeah, because I think anybody who can bear a child and um, brought them to life and and all that and raise them, most importantly, because you know the the fun part is a is a five minute thing. And then there is a you know the the whole birth and everything, and then you got to raise the kids. Yeah. And raising a- kids, raising kids, any man who's ever tried will tell you, oh, my God, this is a revelation of how grateful you should be to have your mother around to have raised you. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. So thank you to all the mothers out there and uh, the great mom of the world because it takes, it takes, a, it takes a lot to raise a child. It takes a village. Uh, I know uh, we have our first grandkid, Jackie and I do, and Jackie yesterday was over at uh, Loretta and Ben's house and, and uh, the baby was sleeping. She says, go out for lunch. Just go out for lunch. Leave the baby with me. And for the first time in the eight weeks or nine weeks that that kid's been alive, the parents left the house, left her with Jackie, left him with Jackie. Yeah. And uh, she sent me a little video of them just sleeping away on the couch. And uh, it, it, it takes a village. It really does. And so for, <laughs> yeah, for her as a first-time grandmother and for Loretta as a first-time mother, congrats. Uh, and, of course, my mother out there who, who uh, had seven or eight children totally uh, it's, wow. uh, it's craziness. Yeah. I, I don't know when, when you see what it goes, what it takes to have one. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so this mother's for- day, we're going to offer a few things that, uh, at our, uh, serious takeout, 
uh, Stacy, our, our baker, who's the mother of two of the ugliest dogs in the world. Um, <laughs> oh my God! She, you're gonna get some. You're mad. gonna get in trouble. Oh, I'm just saying. Her, she and her husband. You they know. Setting yourself They up. know that they those dogs are difficult to live with. Uh, anyway, <laughs> they love them dearly. But uh, she's making some key lime cheesecake, some strawberry rhubarb pie, and as we know, Chef Strawberry Rhubarb doesn't necessarily have strawberries in it. Ours does, but uh, but it's it's really about the color of the rhubarb. So it's strawberry rhubarb is the type of plant. And some lemon shaker tarts, which is her very favorite. You know, she grew up in that uh, Louisville area of Kentucky, and that those shaker tarts were really a big deal. And uh, that's yeah, she, she that's loves Louisville. Them. Louisville, what, yeah, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> so we've got a lot of those coming. Uh, what's in your Mother's Day box? I heard you said you're going to so, do some halibut and lamb chops. Yeah, so what we have is uh, a choice for two entrees of halibut with fava bean, green lentil, spring onion, a shrimp sauce, and some tarragon. So a nice little um, Alaskan halibut. And then, oh, So how do you do chops. that? Stop for one second. So t- tell people how you cook that, because there's a lot of halibut out there right now. I bet some people that aren't going to buy the box itself would love to know how to prepare that dish. So I would personally put the, the halibut in a pan, in a medium pan, medium heat, white foamy butter, and I would put the halibut face down. So face down means the bone side in. First, yeah, the bone side down, the skin side out. Yeah, exactly. And I would start that way. Uh, no skin on the halibut. The halibut is all skinned out. And I would cook it gently that way. I'm not trying to color it or to give it a sear. I'm trying to cook the halibut gently. And then when about uh, three minutes later, I would or two minutes later, I would flip it back on the other side. And I would put it in the oven with a piece of paper, uh, parchment paper on top of the halibut. Again, I'm not trying to crust the halibut. I'm not trying to seal the halibut. I'm trying to keep it very naturally uh, as white as possible, basically, aside from steaming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you keep basting with your butter that's in your pan. Basting means you take a spoon and you keep drizzling it over the fish while you're cooking the fish. And that helps warming up the meat as well as start cooking it and giving it a li- nice little flavor of butter inside. Mm. But it's white for me butter, not brown butter. So, you know, for this time, it will be a nice little uh, butter flavor. And if, uh, if one thing we've learned here at our class is that people just are scared to death about overcooking or undercooking their fish. Uh, and so uh, I always tell them, just use a, a digital thermometer. What would you take the temperature to in the center of that halibut when you thought it would, would be done? And what would it look like in the for center? The, for the halibut, I would go about 125, 130 max. Because mm-hmm. I, I want to go at least, I, I'm not a big fan of halibut that has uh, an eighth of an inch cooked and then the rest raw, and then an half an inch cook. Right. I'm not a big fan of that type. I'm much more into, I want my, my, my halibut to be medium when I'm done, and I'm putting my fork through it. And it so flakes I want to when you put your fork through it. Correct. Yeah. So I want to make sure that I cook my halibut to medium rare, and then it's going to keep carrying because it's been in the pan hot and everything, as we always talk about. So it's going to keep carrying, and, um, you know, it's going to keep cooking, and it will be at 130, which is... Perfectly, basically, you, when your fork goes through the halibut, pushing gently, it should flake out and be translucent. That's okay. what you're looking for in the perfectly cooked piece of halibut, where it will be mild, tender, still have all the flavor of the halibut, which is, by the way, very, very low on the scale of high what, flavor. Yeah, so, fishiness, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, and then you have lamb chops and uh, something for dessert, then, I'm sure. 
lamb chops. And for dessert, we are doing a white chocolate pot de creme, rhubarb compote, chantilly cream, and then pistachio sablé. Wow. So that's, that's a nice little <laughs> menu. By the way, this comes with a bottle of sparkling, a rosé sparkling brut into your box as well, because mom needs a glass of champagne. Yeah, you know, she, she does. Needs, she needs bubbles. So, mm -hmm. And we start with a cured smoked salmon. Um, artichoke, pea, carrot, endive, arugula, lemon confit dressing as an appetizer. Mm -hmm. So sounds, it's a nice uh, little box. Sounds lovely. Mom's going to be very happy. Yeah. My poor mom just got a pound of chocolates. These <laughs> people can get, <laughs> people can go over the top with your, with your box. <laughs> well, you can get the chocolate and the box. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, just a reminder, Terry's got a big box for sale. Uh, where do they go? To uh, Rover's? Or Luke. Luke, no, they go to www.luke2andgo.com. So okay. luke2go.com. All right. All and mine of, course is, uh, mine, of course, is Tom at Tom Douglas. No, my, what is mine? Mine is TomDouglas.com, <laughs> <laughs> where we show off our coconut cream pies. I just got my new refrigerator in for the new Dahlia Bakery that's going to uh, feature the coconut cream pies. Oh, it's so cute. Uh, we're going to show off, uh, we have lots of pies in different sizes, uh, key lime cheesecake, strawberry rhubarb pie, and lemon shaker tart. It's a, it would be good to get that order in now because we cut it off, I want to say, Mother's Day is Sunday, right? So my guess is we'll be cutting it off by Wednesday or Thursday of this coming week. Up next, um, Shota Nakajima is going to join us and talk about his experiences uh, uh, both on Top Chef and uh, to talk about Taku, his new restaurant up on Capitol Hill. On camera radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Radio Show here on Cairo Radio. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Jerry Rochero, the chef in the hat. And uh, we are joined by our friend Shota Nakajima from uh, the new Capitol Hill Eatery or reopening. I, I, I'm confused about this, Shota. Uh, Taku. Uh, T-A-K-U, up on Cap Hill, and uh, a little um, street food side kind of side. It looks like a side alley shop that looks super awesome. And, of course, it looks like it's going to be really hard to get into. Welcome to the show, Shota. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be back. Yeah, it's, uh, so I originally started with a kushikatsu place, which was um, a skewered. Kushi means skewered. Uh, katsu means bread and fried, and that was the concept that I had. Uh, I had it open for five days before the pandemic and realized <laughs> having 20 different ingredients and four fryers and cooking everything was just way too ambitious. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I took a year off and I was sitting trying to think about what I'm going to do. I was talking to my dad about concepts and um, my mom made chicken frog. And because, you know, it was me and my dad, like, it's one of our favorite things. So if we sit down together, she makes it a lot. My dad was like, why don't you just do this? I was like, that's actually really fun. So, uh, <laughs> I idea, the Dad. To, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, chicken karage. Um, it's, it's a Japanese style of fried chicken. It's less batter. Instead of like the brining, regular brining method, it's more of marinating, getting, um, soy sauce, sake, ginger. So I guess brining, or it's brining mm -hmm. that kind of liquid. And then it's more the Chinese. It's, it has like the Chinese style where it has the egg yolk. And you add flour and potato starch and kind of make a slurry. And then we fry it again. Or then we toss it in more batter or more flour. And then we uh, double fry it. Double fry it, yeah. Boy, so, and we have, a, yeah, we have a wet version and a dry version. Um, so you can kind of pick and choose what you want. Five, 10, 15 piece. Uh, we have a burger. 
um, rice bowl and a few sides. Super simple menu. First time I ever had karagi was soul karagi with Shiro Kashiba at his uh, yeah. very first restaurant on King Street. Uh, Nik- uh, well, I can't remember if it was called Nico at that time or not, but uh, that's, that's a long time ago. But that's a lot of bottles of sake ago. But anyway, just I love that crispy <laughs> fried. Uh, you know, he did the whole skeleton of the fish along with the little soul fillets, and uh, it was just it's just a lovely way to eat food. When you say you have a wet and a dry version, so on the wet version, you're taking the dry version and just tossing it in uh, like a, what kind of sauce? So we have three dry versions. Uh, the one dry is salt, pepper. Uh, we have a curry, and then we have a bonito. Bonito is like, I make bonito free cocky. We blitz it up. We turn it into powder. Um, the wet one, we have uh, teriyaki, and then we have spicy teriyaki. Mm, lovely. Uh, and the wet ones, oh, sesame seeds, green onions, cilantro. So it's just this nice, fun bite. Um, I love dipping it in QP mayo and eating it because mayo is healthy, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, the QP mayo that you can find in the grocery store, especially places like Wajimaya, uh, it's just yeah. like a sweet mayo, right? J- Japanese love it. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's. I think it just has this distinct flavor. I grew up with it. So when I eat QP, I'm just like, yep, there we go. There we go. That's a familiar flavor. That's so often the yeah. case. Uh, chef, uh, uh, what what would you order at the, this uh, Osaka street food restaurant? Well, I think I would take the the cold one because I'm. It's not something I've commonly have, so I would definitely start with the cold one. A cold one, what? And I don't. I don't know. I mean the the not the cold one. The sorry, I don't the, mean the cold one. The, I mean the, the uh, wet one. The tossed. Yeah. Yeah, wet one. That's what I meant. Not cold. Sorry. Um, but I think it sounds very interesting to me, and and I haven't had that, so I don't, I don't worry. I'll be in Shota, and I will try these different things because I'm very curious. There is a lot of fried chicken out there, but there is also a lot of okay fried chicken. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious to try good fried chicken, and especially with the uh, soy marinated. And I, it's something I do at home a lot. I do Dijon mustard, soy sauce, and and sesame oil, uh, toasted sesame oil, and I I make that the brine for my chicken. Uh, sometime overnight, and then the next day I dry it. I, I kind of drain it a little bit. I drain it obviously, and then I grill it on the barbecue, and it makes this beautiful crust. Mm. Oh, tasty! Yeah, tasty thing. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, so it's kind of unique the way the Chinese do. I learned it in cooking school when I was in Japan. But with the marinade, they keep some of the marinade, and then they add the flour, potato starch, egg yolk, and turn that into a slurry. What's oh, well, the egg yeah, yolk yeah. do? Sometimes when I add egg to any sort of like a fried chicken or fried fish uh, kind of batter, it just gets it rises too much. It gets too fluffy. What does the egg yolk yeah. do for the karage? Man, I should know this answer because my <laughs> teacher explained it to me in cooking school. I was better at the cooking part. I didn't really listen to why. I should have. <laughs> but it doesn't create any sort of fluff, right? This, uh, the egg yolk, it's just for the fat of it all, the richness of it all? I think, it's, coloring? I think it's the richness, the fat, the coloring. I think the coloring is a big part, too. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's almost like it's just a tiny light batter. Right. Yeah, I don't put a lot of egg yolk in. It's just a tiny little bit, too. What else is on the menu at Taku? What else can we expect when we... Uh, Wait in line to get in there. Uh, uh, we have cabbage salad, um, which is thinly sliced cabbage with a wafu dressing that we make, um, bonitos, flakes, garlic chips. It's this yummy, healthy. I love cabbage with fried food. I feel like it counterbalances and I'm allowed to eat more fried food. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
I love cabbage yeah, with anything. Sure. It's like one of the most underutilized vegetables in in the American culture. You see it so much right. more often in Japanese and in Chinese culture, but it's just completely underutilized in our culture. The green head of cabbage, other than coleslaw. And you know, that's like another thing is my mom used to make or still makes uh, miso soup with a bunch of cabbage, and it's one of my favorites. It's, huh. it, the thought, like the dashi, picks up the cabbage flavor. Um, so instead of doing like your classic tofu green onion, we're going to be doing uh, miso soup with a lot of cabbage. Inside. And do you nice. braise so the cabbage nice. in that soup, or is that something that you're just yeah. putting hot broth I, over I, No, I, I chop up, um, I make dashi, I chop up uh, the cabbage, and then I braise it for 20 to 30 minutes so it gets pretty soft, and then I add the miso soup or miso inside of it. So it's this dashi that has that sweet cabbage flavor. Um, and then miso soup that into it. So it's just, right. if you're a cabbage lover, I think you'll love it. That sounds really good. That sounds really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a sub, something that I've uh, found when I sit at the counter at uh, Tai Tung. Tai Tung is always they present uh, you with a little bowl of cabbage and onion soup that really is the whole broth is uh, there's no there's no miso there's no nothing in there, there's no dashi it's just water based cabbage and onion soup and it's got this tremendous what I call a Chinatown flavor. It just reminds me of the 50 years I've been eating in Chinatowns around the world. And uh, it's the same everywhere I go. Well, hopefully you'll like this and it'll remind you a little bit of that. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to yeah, love yeah. it. Uh, when does uh, the restaurant open? How how, uh, how soon are we going to see pe- the lines uh, out the door? What's going on with it? Uh, so we're opening on May 5th officially. Um, okay. I've been doing uh, training this week. We opened for like an hour and a half yesterday. I've just put it on social just to get a few reps in. Um, we're planning to do another hour service today um, and just getting, we, you know, re- reset the line. And yeah, next 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 Wednesday, Cinco de Mayo is when we're going to be officially opening. Congratulations. Or Boys Day in Japan. Thank you. Thank you. It's yeah, been, uh, it's going to be super journey. fun. Yeah, and it's been fun because, you know, I did Adana and Naka, which is fine dining. We change the menu all the time. Um, and this this project is very, very fun because I have to perfect one thing. I have to think of a really good operation for one thing, you know, more the system side of it. Um, so it, it's been a lot of fun to kind of change a little bit of how I'm doing work. Terry, do you find that in the French culture like I've seen in uh, both the Japanese, it's mostly Japanese, but sometimes in the Chinese culture where um, a restaurant, like I went to a tonkatsu restaurant, a tempura restaurant, you know, where it's literally one thing uh, in Tokyo. Uh, Do you find that in the French culture at all? No, in the French culture, not so much. It's a little bit more, uh, the French take time when they eat. So they sit down and they make it more elaborate that, um, you know, and it's changing, of course, now, especially in Paris and the big cities. You know, people are eating more on the go and faster and everything. But the one item thing is not as common as much more sit-down, multi-course. Right. You, usually, the minimum usually is an appetizer and an entree. After that is with a dessert and then, you know, more courses after that. The only place I ever really went in Paris that had just the one thing was a canal shop, you know, where they just do beautiful oh, yeah. canals with different sauces. Uh, and uh, that's a, a pretty typical one thing in Paris, I think. So. Yeah, and so is the, the crepe, too. The crepe is pretty right. standard. That's true. I didn't think about that. Shota's going to join us for the next segment. We're going to talk a little bit about his time spent on the Top Chef show. When we come back here, it's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. 
We're back with Shota Nakajima in our Hot Stove Society kitchen here on the Cairo Radio Hot Stove Society show. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And Shota, we spent the last segment talking about your new restaurant that's opening May 5th called Taku, T-A-K-U, uh, which I thought in Japanese was octopus. Is that true? Uh, that's Taco. 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 Okay. All right. Um, taku actually stands for the word shoku taku. I should have said this earlier. Um, it means dining room table in your house. So uh, the idea is it's your second house before you go home. Ah, and have a quick bite. Ah. I like it. I love the and quick what's the bite location? too. What's the location, Shota? Uh, it is on Capitol Hill. Uh, it's a block down from uh, Broadway, and it's on Pike. Broadway and Pike, just a block off Broadway. Good. All right, let's talk oh, about block the- down from Broadway. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about your uh, time that you recently spent on Top Chef with all of uh, the yeah. folks. Uh, Terry and I have both been on that show a couple of times, and um, I've only been on as a judge. I refuse to be take take a risk. I'm, You're I'm a chicken. A, I'm not a comp- competitor <laughs> that way. Yeah, and Terry was on Top Chef Masters where he choked on his croak. Um, <laughs> That's right. I choked on my croak. He choked on his croak. He got the uh, croak, mons- uh, croak Madame or croak Monsieur to make. What happened? Kirk Madame. Kirk didn't Madame. put an egg on it. <laughs> oh. It was it was oh. disastrous. <laughs> it was disastrous. It was like the, anyway. The best part to come out, the best part to come out of it is I've been able to tease him about it for the last twenty some years that it's been since he did the show. So whoa, whoa, whoa. not that long, right? not Tom, not that long. Like, come on. So uh, tell us about your Top Chef experience. How'd you get involved? Uh, I know you're not allowed to tell us all the the uh, nice details, like who won and how far did you get and and uh, all that sort of thing. But just tell us about the show and what you enjoyed about it, what you hated about it, all that sort of stuff. You know, you know, the show approached me in uh, a very unique time. I think everyone was going through right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, it was right after it closed. Uh, so just the fact, well, I mean, I was very scared at first, but just the fact that I was scared, I got extremely excited. Um, I got excited about the fact that, hey, I'm getting to cook with people again, and they're going to be amazing chefs whatever TV production like that aside. So just for that, I think it was a very good, unique year to have um, um, got, yeah, got in with Pop Chef, I think, for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and be, yeah, besides that, it's been, the whole journey has been incredible. I mean, the best part is uh, not just the competitors, but even the producers. I, I became, I made a lot of good friends. Um, I want to call them mentors as well. I think we all rub off on each other and, you know, in in a good way uh, that we're all pushing each other in our businesses. What do we do? We're constantly brainstorming. We're sharing numbers of how we're running events. And, you know, I think that that whole experience itself has been incredible. Were you nervous at all about jumping into such a big group during the pandemic? Were you nervous about picking up COVID or anything of the sort? Or were there great safety measures in place? Uh, they were very strict about the safety measures. I, I thought I was, I'm pretty, well, I'm vaccinated now, but at the time I, I was pretty cautious. I had some family health issues going on as well. Um, but I, even though I was cautious, I thought they were being more cautious. Today. So in that sense, I, I felt comfortable. And honestly, the coolest part of it was a, it's a big production, right? And no one got COVID the whole entire time. That's awesome. Which I think is incredible. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. That's very cool. I mean, they kept, they, they kept the bubble tight. They were strict about the rules. Um, they were strict about the contenders only taking masks off for certain areas. But if we had some new on set or some, you know, all those things, it was very well managed, communicated well. Um, they, they all kept checking in with us. 
magic I was always kept checking in. Hey, how are you guys feeling good? Is it comfortable? If there is anything, there are places to talk. Chef Terry, what do you remember about your time on Top Chef Masters uh, and uh, the goods and the bads? Uh, Do you still uh, maintain some friendships from the people you met on that show? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the the like like Shota said, you, you know, it's a tight it's a tight world, and it's a tight. You know, you all become close because you spend so much time together, and uh, you know, you obviously keep friendship, you know, with the people you like. But most of the people that that I was on the show with, we've kept in touch. You know, it's it's uh, it's definitely. But what I was going to ask Shota for me at least when I was there uh, on Top Chef Master was. The memory of the most incredible one-time place we cooked at, on top of the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd gone to, I you know, I, I'm not a necessarily a religious person, but I thought I'd gone to heaven, and I thought that was it. I felt like I was on top of the roof of the world. The, the sky was touching the the canyon, and I mean, it was really, really, really majestic to land onto a you know a tribe. Uh, an Indian tribe right on top of the Grand Canyon and then cook from there. That was so absolutely incredible to be there. Just incredible. And that long table they had was just literally stopping at the Grand Canyon on top of the Grand Canyon. That was, that was just majestic. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't pay for that kind of experience anywhere else. So to any chefs who, who is uh, thinking of going on those shows, top chef or top master chef or master chef Michelle, um, I would recommend definitely looking into it, mainly because for the experience. To me, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, I choked or whatever. I'm <laughs> just teasing. Come on. You know, no, but that, that whole thing, you know, to me, I'm a I'm competitor in real life in terms of, you know, staying alive because I'm a, I'm a foreigner in America, I guess, mm-hmm. when I came here. But still, when we did, when we did those shows, it was so much camaraderie. Everybody was so helpful friendly you know and plus we you know you all know each other if you don't when you start the show you definitely do by the time you finish the show so right so shota did you have and i don't know if you can say it or not but did you have one like come to jesus moment during top chef where you were like in the location where you were like there's no way in the world this would ever ever happen unless i was on top chef i I can talk about the ones that happened i'm assuming so one was the orchard. The orchard was, you know, incredible. I'm driving those BMWs, please. I'm all for that. <laughs> it felt so great. I was looking at the Acura next to me. I'm like, right now, I feel a little bit better. <laughs> um, and, you know, just cooking in that fruit loop. You, we're cooking. It's intense. And then you look up for a second, and it's this extraordinary view. It smells like fruits in there, and I, I that was a beautiful, beautiful month. Yeah, I, I love that one. Very, very and what's, of course, what's the, what's the biggest, can you say it? I don't know if you can or not, but what's the biggest disaster that has happened in the show? Uh, drive-in was bad. The drive-in was a rough one, which just happened. Um, I mean, team challenges are hard. Just the communication part, it's Things don't turn out. I, I, that one was a hard challenge for me, too, because I wasn't trying to cook food. I was trying to get really gimmicky with it. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was actually worried with standing at the other table. I was like, shoot, I think I completely messed up. <laughs> That's so funny. So, um, yeah, that was, a good, that was a good little learning curve for myself. 
Well, thanks a million for sharing um, a little time with us, Shota. That was awesome. Shota Nakajima. Yeah, yeah my pleasure. pleasure. Uh, I hope your new restaurant just takes off like uh, wildfire. That would be awesome. And um, Thank you. uh, you're a pleasure to have on. Anytime you uh, have something to talk about, just give us a shout and we'll get you. Yeah, Terry. When is, when is, uh, when is Top Chef showing? Oh, Top Chef is showing uh, every Thursday at 8 p.m. on Bravo. Um, and it'll be going for, I think, a few more X amount of weeks. I don't remember, so I'm not going to say that part. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Exactly. So we don't want so to ruin any surprises. Um, yeah, right? Exactly. Coming up in our second hour, we're going to talk with Mac Weiss of Fathom Seafoods about crab. And, of course, we're going to finish the show with our Rub with Love Tasty Trivia Challenge uh, right here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show. It's hour number two. We've got a, a great hour for you. Lots going on here in the kitchen, as there usually is. I'm Chef Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rocher, the chef in the hat. And remember, on Friday mornings when we do our show, you can join us for on Facebook Live. We try to get that on every Friday from 9 to 11. If you ever want to uh, come in and see the behind the scenes, I'm not sure what there is to see other than uh, you get to see all of Pamela's, uh, our producers, little pretty uh, get-ups when we do tastings like we're going to do in this segment right here. Uh, coming up after the mustard segment, we're going to talk crab, how to buy it, how to cook it, uh, what's to look for, how to catch it, you name it, uh, with Matt Way. And then um, uh, we're going to play Rub With Love Tasty Trivia. Don't forget that. That's always a fun way to spend the last part of our show. And uh, unfortunately... I have been on a roller coaster ride. I had two perfect weeks, and then I got crushed to two weeks. So uh, I am I'm I'm not sure where how I feel. How, how you you do you I do am. for a return? Yeah, exactly. You do for a return. Okay, let's talk about mustards, Pamela. What did you have in mind here when you wanted to talk mustards? I know that you consider yourself the mustard queen of the universe. Well, I have been looking for ways to pump up flavor without uh, without salt. Because I rely too heavily on it. Mm-hmm. And when I roast the perfect chicken, or I know you don't like my pork tenderloin, but <laughs> those are two <laughs> dishes that make me run right to the refrigerator to get mustard. Because it, you know why that is? Because chicken and pork tenderloin don't have much flavor. <laughs> and it is, it's the perfect complement. The, but the more I started to explore styles and flavors of mustard, I really landed on the classic Dijon as doing the heavy lifting because it works in most often, if it's not an accompaniment to a meat, I rely on it for my salad dressings right? uh, because of its emulsifying agent. But um, I think Terry and I share a love for Dijon and I want to hear his favorite brand. Well, Amora is my favorite brand, and I know you have some too. It's uh, one of the leading brands in France for uh, Dijon mustard. And the cool thing about Amora is uh, A-M-O-R-A, like, that's Amora. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> Lots of song yeah. today. Woo. What, I like, what I like about Amora is they have the uh, regular mustard, but they also have extra fort, which means extra strength. So that is the perfect mustard to drizzle on top of your um, boiled uh, beef. Let's say you're doing a uh, pot au feu or some kind of a boiled meat like that with a bunch of cabbage and turnips and carrots. You put that on the platter, and then as you eat it, you just drizzle, you just 
spray a little bit, spread a little bit of that mustard on that meat. Oh my God, you eat that and it's, oh, it's so delicious. The contrast of the rich meat and the brightness and the sharpness of the mustard, which uh, the extra fruit will open a little bit of your sinuses at the same time. <laughs> Man, what an experience. I like that. That's very French, you know, though, that you would like that flavor profile. And I think that's why yeah. in America, like when you go to get chicken nuggets or something like that, they have the, they have mustard sauce, but it's always honey oh. mustard. It's some sort of very, very sweetened sauce. Yeah. What do you mean it's disgusting? Yeah, You've it's, never it's, even had a chicken nugget. <laughs> what do you uh, mean? No, no, but I've had fried chicken with you at uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And, <laughs> and uh, the, no, the mustard is, uh, it, uh, to me, it doesn't remind me of mustard. I wasn't raised with that. Yeah, no You know, the, the different type of mustard that I like would be Dijon mustard is my number one base, like, like Pam said. Um, and then after that, I go into the grain mustard. I like a good, there's a brand called Pomery mustard, um, grain mustard, which is really delicious as well. It's a different flavor. It's a bit more like, almost like if you meet uh, a, a German mustard meets uh, grain mustard. And... Uh, I really like that flavor. It's definitely different. Goes super well on rye bread. Um, if you're doing rye bread and, and a brisket, for example, that goes really well with that kind of behavior. Goes well with sausage as well. Mm -hmm. um, but um, you know that's that. And then uh, the dry powder Coleman mustard from England is also a good um, one to have in your cupboard because if you're doing, for example, uh, uh, you want to do a quick gravy at the end of a roast or whatever. It's a great mustard to add to the broth, to the to the deglaze of the pan. Add some some common mustard and some stock or some water or wine, and then put that together, and you you will have a nice little bite to your gravy. Because common mustard is like dry wasabi. It's really I know strong. it's it's strong. Pamela, Very powerful. Um, you've brought a little tray of mustards here for us to try. What did you bring, and and why? I'm trying to see if there's the world beyond Dijon. So I wanted to have one of the full seeded darker mustards. And then the other one is the brand um, that most retailers are talking about. How do you think you pronounce that? Kozlix uh, or Kozlix. Yeah. K-O-Z-L-I-K-S. Kozlix. Um, the, the staff at Chef Shop say it, they're absolutely the top brand in their store mm -hmm. because of the integrity of the mustard. Uh, but it's got a big punch of horseradish in this it. one so, does yeah yeah and the horseradish to me is a little bit distracting from the i know mustard. it's very yeah. horseradishy uh and so yeah, that's just their coslix horseradish mustard so I, I guess it's supposed to be that way and literally tastes like somebody took a jar of beaver prepared horseradish or and bubba's uh, prepared horseradish and mixed it into dijon mustard so uh you've got the smb hot mustard and the smb is a they call it Oriental hot mustard. I'm surprised that they still say yes. it in that way. But um, it's very popular throughout Japan, uh, this S&B line of curries and mustards and things of that nature. And uh, I, I, would, I really don't know if it's more popular in other parts of Asia, too. But it is a very famous brand. Of course, Coleman's is in every kitchen. It's very handy to have. Uh, you often saw it in uh, Chinatown, right, as a side to yep. the barbecue pork. Uh, was yeah. uh, was always a, kind of that hot, dried mustard flavor. But are they making a paste working from the dry? Yes. That's yes. what I'm trying to yeah. determine. Is yes. it worthwhile yeah. for me to learn how to work from dry or from seed, or do I just keep buying Amora? <laughs> you just keep buying Amora. I think you buy the one that yeah. – because some of the mustard isn't just 
this is just one flavor profile. The Coleman's is just it's just one, right? There's a million different yeah. flavor profiles. Most mustard is grown right up in Canada. I mean, there's a lot of mustard grown right there in in the, mm-hmm. across the plains of Canada. So. Is it as beautiful, though, as my mustard greens and mustard seed right there? And your mustard flowers? My mustard yeah. flowers. Yes. The, the, mustard, the mustard in the fields is absolutely gorgeous. And it's also, by the way, something that grows a lot in the wine region, Burgundy and Bordeaux, where they have mustards growing in the row, you know, in the vine rows. They do mustard because it's good, good um, uh, protein. Oh, not protein. Good food for the, you know. For to the turn soil, over the turnover, yeah. Ground. For the soil, yeah, and it's also I think it also deter bugs away or something like this. When you take so, the TGV from way. Paris to say Marseille, you you just go through miles and miles oh, yeah. of fields of mustard and yeah, um, yeah. So the other one and you brought the, up, go ahead, Terry. No, I was what I was going to say is the brown grain mustard that Pam was mentioning. The brand is Mai, which is M A I L L E, and if you ever go to New York City, they actually have a store where all the different mustard that they have is on tap. It's a pretty incredible stuff. You bring your own jar or you buy a jar and you fill it up with different kind of mustards. Um, I did that once and brought like five different kind of mustard from there. That was really cool. So a trip to Mai in New York is actually a good, very fun, uh, a good, yeah, very fun thing to do. My idea of heaven, a mustard store. I know exactly. <laughs> well, I'd like the CD mustard. Um, my favorite way to use it is in like a Creole style mayonnaise you know like a mm-hmm. or a celery root or you know uh, i'm trying to think of the name that i want for that uh, for that dish celery root remoulade you know where you remoulade, make that yeah. kind of a seedy mayonnaise sauce for the right. celery root that's one of my very favorite dishes of all time i i don't know what? how i got on it but i'm gonna make that for celery you root remoulade yeah, yeah i love it <laughs> and uh, it's very simple because all you do is peel and grate this uh, celeriac and then you just simply make the, the Creole mustard sauce for it, and it's done. Oh, we'll do a segment on that. You know, these mustards are so full of vinegar, it's making my, my mouth go crazy. I like it. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk crab when we come back, uh, so stay with us. It's an exciting time because I think that crab scares people. Live tanks scare people in groceries. They don't quite know what to do. We're going to find out how to approach them. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen. We're smack dab in the middle of it. At least I am. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Jerry Rochero, the chef in the hat. I'm uh, going to remind everyone to take a look at uh, Terry's and my websites for our Mother's Day specials. We have coconut cream pies, strawberry rhubarbs. We've got uh, key lime cheesecake and some lemon chess tarts. So at, at our joint uh, on special for the holiday, of course, our Mother's Day dinner box. Chef, you also are featuring a Mother's Day we box. We also have a dinner box, and it starts with a bottle of sparkling rosé in your box, so you can pop some uh, bubbles and celebrate your mother as you should. And a choice of uh, alibut and lamb chop for entrees, white chocolate pot de creme with rhubarb compote for dessert. Yum. And smoked salmon, homemade smoked salmon for uh, appetizer. So... Lovely. www.luke2go.com. Or you could blow all that off, all of our dinners, all of Terry's dinners, and just go get some crab. Here we go. And have a crab You could feed. do that. <laughs> Matt Way is here from Fathom Seafood to tell us about the crab harvest. Uh, and he is uh, uh, going to a- answer some questions for me that even though I've been serving crab for 40-plus years, I don't really know the answers to some of these questions. You know, they always say, mm-hmm. in media, they always say, don't ever ask a question you don't know the answer to. 
Well, that's baloney. I'm going to ask today, and I'm going to find out from beginning to end how we get crab into our into the live tanks at our grocery stores. So. Or into our homes, really. They do, they do home shipping also. Welcome to the show, Matt. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Tom. Absolutely. Good to have you. You are selling crab, live crab, all over the country, and that must be a logistical uh, feat, I'll say. I was going to say nightmare, but that would probably be, for me, for you, it's probably easy. It's, it's always going to be a challenge, actually, specifically with, uh, with COVID-19 that's happening right now. There's a lot of logistical challenges that happen throughout the entire country. Um, but we make it happen. Um, our job actually here at Fathom Seafood uh, is actually we connect the boat to the consumer and we do everything in between uh, for the fishermen. So my job is to be able to get it to uh, you know, beautiful restaurants like you know, Tom's uh, or straight directly to the retail consumer. Um, also, all the grocery stores around Seattle, we actually supply all the, the Dungeness crab that goes into all the seafood tanks mm-hmm. uh, that's locally around here. Okay, let's start from the beginning. So uh, Fathom Seafood is the name, and that's where the people would go if they wanted to buy it online, right? Correct. F-A-T-H-O-M, Fathom Seafood. And so let's start from the boats. So now I always think of crabs. We've all watched Deadliest Catch, and I think I know and understand how that all works. But I've never really watched a, a Dungeness crab harvest. And is it, is it the same? It's actually very, very similar. Um, we battle the same tides. We battle the same weather position, you know, the weather situations that we have out there on the water. Uh, it's almost exactly the same in that sense. Uh, what we like to say is actually what people see on the deadliest catch. We take care of everything afterwards. So after the crab gets off the boat, um, calling it the deadliest distribution probably wouldn't work out so well. I'm guessing. <laughs> I'm not sure if that would make for good TV. Right. I don't know. We should pitch that sometime. But um, how you'd, the... you'd have a bunch of UPS truck crashing on the street and crab in the truck. <laughs> I mean, we we watch high speed car chases, so yeah. you know yeah. that that might be something worth it. Okay, so they come off the boat, and in the boat they've they've already come out of their traps, and they've been into a live holds, right? Correct, correct. Like a saltwater live hold? Uh, saltwater live holds, and we work with boats anywhere between 16 feet to, I think, upward to like 60-plus to 80-plus feet. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of how much crab that holds, anywhere from a few hundred pounds to 60,000 pounds, 80,000 pounds of, wow. of, of live crab. That's wow. amazing. And so they come on, they dock at the shore, and then they unload. How do they get, out? How do they get it off the boat? A lot of muscle. Sure, crab, actually. crab march. There's, it's actually kind of a, a wild dance that, that has to happen uh, in order for the boat to be able to get the product off, and then it goes into the distribution chain. So there's always going to be a hoist of some sort. Um, way back in the day, they would use you know burly, muscly men back in the day uh-huh. to, to actually haul the crab off um, in pots. Uh, nowadays, what happens is there's a mechanical hoist that uh, the dock itself has to, has to uh, operate. And then what happens is all these buyers that we have, um, they're there waiting for, for the catch to come off the boats. Mm-hmm. And then arrangements are done where then those crab go onto trucks or into different holds, and then away it goes from there. And it's they, a very manual process. Yeah, and then they go to you, and you have your own live tanks, I'm and, sure. Right, and then it goes to us, and we actually have probably what's, probably I'm thinking actually this most advanced modern on-land aquarium that no one's ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something that you would see actually at like the Point Defiance Zoo, um, we have something just on par as advanced as that. Hmm. Um, we actually hold 
anywhere between, you know, we could hold probably anywhere between like 60 to 120,000 pounds wow. of, of live crab. Yeah, and if, uh, two and a half wow. to four pounds each, that's a, that's a lot of crabs. That's a, that's a pretty hefty amount of crustaceans <laughs> that's, that's crawling around. <laughs> okay, so now uh, Shoreline Central Market calls you or Wajamaya calls you and says, mm-hmm. I want 24 crabs or 250 crabs, whatever the number is. You just take them in a live tank to the store and put them in their live tank? Yeah, so then it comes out. So our main facility is actually down in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. And once we, you know, I talk to, once any of those stores call, then we arrange for an, uh, a delivery on that day or, you know, whatever day that works best for them for sales on that side. And it goes into a truck and away it goes. Amazing. And then, okay, so I, I, now I'm a, a shopper at Wajamaya, we'll uh-huh. say. And I see the crabs in the live tank, and I want, for my first time ever, to get a live crab and take it home and cook it. Beautiful store, yes. Yes, exactly, especially their new remodel, huh? So what should I look for in that crab at the store in the tank? There's, you know, there's 100 crabs in there. What should I look for? Just the liveliest? That's actually a really, really good question. What I would look for personally is, uh, first of all, all the stores they do a really good job of keeping the best product inside their own tanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the stores actually have someone that manages how the, the their water tanks are kept. You know, so it's an optimal place for where the crabs are be, you know, to, to live in, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're in really good health. Um, regardless of wherever you go, typically they're pretty good. Once you do get the crab, though, so what, what I'm trying to say here is I would have confidence in wherever you go, if you see live, you know, crab that's in the tank, it's probably pretty darn healthy uh-huh. already. Uh, what I would look for is typically when they grab the crab for you, you say, "Hey, I, you know, Mister, I want three crab." Go inside, you know, have them pick it up and show you mm-hmm. that you're, the legs are moving. And- you're looking for, you're not always looking for moving legs per se, because if the water's cold, the crab will actually go into like a hibernated state. But you're looking for them to be kind of like firm, in a sense. Beefy, yeah, beefy and firm. Yeah, heavy for their size. Heavy for the size. Average size between crab, um, any time in the season, is going to be between about one point five to about two pounds. And then sometimes you might get some big ones of uh, you know over two pounds to two to three pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, we could, those are big granddaddies of the ocean. But heavy for its size, uh, lively. Uh, and the eyes, actually. I would look at the eyes part. Um, if they don't retract or if they don't look uh, like right, they right, right then, yeah. then I would be a little suspect and ask for another one. Uh-huh. Interesting. So hmm. uh, we have about a minute left. In the next segment, we're going to talk about how to cook them. But so now, uh, as we get the crab to our home first, so now they're uh, at Mutual Fish, where they also have a live tank, mm-hmm. right? Uh, now they're going to wrap it up and... They'll, they'll actually, if you choose, they'll clean it for you. They'll take the apron off and clean it up, take the shell off. Uh, I prefer to do it myself, and I know uh, that's just my nature. I, just like I like to fillet my own fish. But uh, so now they put it, wrap it up in a bag. Uh, let's say it's still live, and now we uh, in our next segment we arrive at our home. What should we do from there? All right, we're going to finish cooking this crab that we've found out everything about. We know where it came from, which boat it came off of, how it was caught, what store we bought it from, where it was in between. Now let's get it home and get it cooked. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM.
And we're back. It's the Krabby Kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Jerry Rotero, the chef in the hat. All Krabby here. All Krabby here. And uh, we have Matt Way from <laughs> Fathom, F-A-T-H-O-M, Fathom Seafoods here to talk about crab. And if you've been listening along with us in our last segment, we learned about how to buy live crab from Wajamaya, Mutual Fish, Shoreline Central, any place that has a live tank. Uh, you want to make sure if you're going to buy live crab, it has to have a live tank generally. Yes. And then uh, now let's talk about how to cook it. In the, in, the, in the time in between segments here, we talked a little bit about cooking time. So, Matt, if um, typical, mm-hmm. I would say people are going to drop it into a pot of boiling water. So is it about a gallon of water per crab that you want to have? Is it less, more? I would say or is it- I would say because the you want to have a pot large enough for the crab to be in, mm-hmm. go bigger. Always go bigger. Treat it like pasta. Uh-huh. Have more water than you think you actually need. All right. And bring it up to a boil. Yeah. Bring it up to a boil. My personal preference is actually to actually season your water, mm-hmm. at least with salt. Because mm-hmm. if you use just regular plain water, um, a lot of the natural flavoring inside the crab actually bleeds out. Right. You cook. Because they live in salt water. They're going to have a salty flavor, and you're just going to wash that right out. Okay. Uh, chef, would you take it any different direction there, or would you? Uh, nope. Are we on the I'm same page? I'm on the same page. Matt is Matt is chefing in really good ways here. So I would say I have a pot here that's got about um, three gallons of water in it. We'll say, and I'm going to do two crabs, and I think that's plenty. <laughs> I could probably do a crab per gallon, or even two crabs per gallon. These are about two pound crabs. Okay, we've unpacked your box. It came beautifully packed. So, uh, let's just say that we ordered it online for you. It came in a nice little styrofoam. Uh, gel pack, uh, the crabs are lively, and the claws have rubber bands, so you don't have to worry about getting pinched. Um, now what? We're just going to drop those into the hot pot? When are you going to eat? When's dinner? Oh, okay, so you, you, you like to do it right before you're going to have dinner. Correct. Okay. What if, let's just say I'm going to make crab cakes out of this crab, or I'm going to make, like after this show, I'm going to make crab foo young. Uh, do you put them right into the fridge? Do you like to ice them down? What do you do after you pull them out of the pot? So I do two things. Me, personally, I'll actually kill the crab beforehand, mm-hmm. like kill it right beforehand. Um, where the apron is, you can just put a knife right through the top of the apron. Okay. Give it a few minutes, and then you know the crab will be dead. If you do want to boil them live and you're afraid of like the squirming part, here's actually a really good tip. Okay. Um, here's one that I learned from a, a fisherman from a long time ago. Put the crab in a freezer for 20 minutes. Okay. Um, it will actually slow it all the way down where it won't move, but it's still alive. Mm-hmm. And then once it's, you know, once it's about 20 minutes time is about what you need, then throw it in your boiling water and away you go. Okay. That's a good, good tip right there. Uh, mm-hmm. You've seasoned your water with salt. Now we've cooked them, let's say, on a two, two-and-a-half-pound crab. We're looking at, Terry, you say how much time that would you do? Six, seven minutes. Six, seven minutes for me is enough. As you go into a boiling a, water, right? Six, seven Boiling minutes. water, uh-huh. drop the crab. Six, seven minutes, take it out, leave it on the counter and let it finish to cook on its own and cool off on its own. Don't put it in ice water or anything like this. Just leave it on the counter. To me, it's always been very successful to leave it like that. And it cooks really well. It finished to cook and it's cooked perfectly by the time I'm starting breaking down the, the shell. Okay, Matt, you're saying maybe a little longer would be your choice, maybe 10, 12, 15 minutes? Uh, for us, for like about a two-pound crab... We recommend between about 13 to 14 minutes, actually. 13 to 14 minutes, okay. Uh, now we get them out. They've uh, cooled off on the counter, and now we're going to start playing with them. Uh, there's lots of recipes to go from here. You can use them in the shell. You can start to do your deshelling process. You can serve them whole to the table and have a crab feed and let everyone deshell themselves. Do you have a favorite? 
Uh, it's actually going to be actually like Hong Kong Chinese style, where you dismantle the crab beforehand, uh-huh. uh, powder it lightly with a little bit of flour, cornstarch, corn starch, seasoned, yeah. five spices, really good. Mm-hmm. I've actually done it with your rub with love before. Oh, have you? Good. I like <laughs> so that. that actually works out really well. So um, then you go for a really quick deep fry, mm-hmm. take it out, and then toss it with ginger, scallion, garlic, and in a hot mm, walk. In a hot walk. In yeah. a really, really hot walk. And can't go more than about a minute or two right. or it'll overcook. Right. All you're trying to do is kind of reheat like it, right? It's already cooked, right? right? So, Right. Chef, how about you? Like What's your favorite way to take a fresh dungee? Salt, uh, salt and pepper crab. That's some, yeah, that's delicious. I love that. Um, I, I'm going to go, you know, they've been steaming. Uh, they've been cooked. They are sitting on the counter. I'm going to let it cool down. I'm going to break it down. I'm going to use the shell, uh, the, the, the big shell. I'm going to rinse it off, clean it up. And uh, I'm going to use that as a vessel because I'm going to make a nice little crab salad. And, uh, you know, in spring, we have all these beautiful greens coming up, the peas, the scallions, the uh, small, the June peas, uh, snap peas. I'm going to do a nice little salad of that, little lemon confit in there, which is basically sweet and sour lemon slices cooked very slowly and gently, then chopped, mixed with the greens, and then put the crab with the lemon olive oil mint and chives as a salad, put everything together and serve that for lunch with a nice crostini on the side and a glass of Sauvignon Blanc. Hello. Hello. Welcome to (laughs) Madison Valley. That's what I'm talking about. Hello. (laughs) It sounds lovely. Fresh crab is delicious. I think hot crab is delicious as well, but a good Dungeness crab, which, again, the prince of the sea, man, it's like that crab is delicious when perfect. So you get that, and you, you shut it up, and you that meat is so beautiful, rich, tender, sweet. It's got all the different beautiful components and balanced. So you put that on the salad of any kind. It goes well with grapefruit. You know, I like to do a grapefruit and sour cream or, or creme fraiche uh, kind of dressing, kind of salad underneath with cucumber, and uh, put the crab in it and eat the whole thing together. Mm. Well, put I'm going to sidestep you guys a little bit. I'm going to take that live crab, and I'm not going to boil mine. For my recipe, okay. I'm going to take it and I'm going to get out my little uh, cleaver, my Chinese cleaver, and I'm just going to whack it live. And, and that kills it immediately. Right. And then I'm going to whack right. it into each leg section. Uh, I like taking the, the, the cap off. Uh, what do you call the cap? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the top shell. The, the top car- shell the, the off there. And then I dredge the whole thing in cornstarch and then I deep fry it. And then I go right to where you were headed or Terry suggested the salt and pepper. So um, to me, uh, I, I'll deep fry the raw crab, get, get it nice and crunchy, get it literally cooked. And then uh, what, it, what, what happens when you do it that way is that you kind of save all the mustard. You save all the inner juices and stuff that coagulate mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. when they cook. And then that goes into the hot wok with the uh, diced uh, minced jalapenos and fresh garlic and lots of salt. And uh, that's how I do my salt and pepper crab. Um, I What's would say, the garnish? What's the sauce? There is no the sauce. Dipping sauce. There is no sauce. No, di- because no dipping the, the, sauce with that? No, the cornstarch uh, is all over the shell, and it picks up right. um, all the flavors from the wok. You know, you're cooking in... In a hot, smoky vegetable oil, when you get your hot, you right. know, remember what we call the breath of the wok? Uh, is that right. hot smokiness that you get from hot oil? That's what's going to stick it to the crab. And as you're eating, just like when you eat a blue crab feed back east with Old Bay all over it, you're, all that stuff gets on your fingers. And as you eat and you crunch uh, the shells with your teeth and you do all that work, that's when you get the flavor of the sauce. Mm. So that's one of my favorite mm. ways, to, whether it's spot prawns or Dungeness crab or king crab sections or 
you name it. That's a good way to cook a lot of different things. What about making a nice, I mean, uh, crab chowder, you know, uh, using the crab? Yeah, for, for me, like a chowder? crab bisque is what you're, I would say, yeah, where like you can use the bisque, shell. Yeah. yeah. Use all the shell, all the broken bones, you know, all the bones, all the shell, carapace and everything, and then break it down and then give it a nice sear, like to, you know, walk or into a big pot, and then add a little bit of vegetables, onion, carrot, celery, tomato paste, give it a nice little run, deglaze with brandy, add some water, spices, herbs like parsley, bay leaf, thyme, cook that for about 20, 30 minutes, and then boom, you've got a wonderful little stock. Now you've you shucked all the meat out of that crab shell before you did all Correct. that. Correct. Yeah. All the meat is taken out, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But all the goodies that are besides the meat makes a wonderful flavored stock and use that for a bisque and then you just take that and yeah. Uh, make into a soup. Mm. You know, Chef, they listening to you describe that uh, process uh, just reminded me of when you were an apprentice. That is such an old uh, French technique, right? That, oh, yeah. And I, I yeah. would imagine as an apprentice you had to do that. But uh, I don't know if you had blenders then. You probably had to use a mortar and pestle to break up those crab shells. Oh, it, it You're was, so old. You, would, you, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Yeah, but it was delicious. Yeah, but it was. <laughs> Matt, before we uh, jump out of this, any other ways for people to use the crab? Or tell us a little a bit how people can buy direct from you or from what grocery stores are in the area that, uh, that use service. In the greater Seattle region, um, any, of the, any of the grocery stores that have live tanks, uh, definitely be adventurous if you haven't tried live crab before. Go out there, pick up a few. They're, it's not going to be dangerous. It's going to be delicious. Uh, if you would like to have the crab delivered straight to your door, uh, go to www.fathomseafood.com, F-A-T-H-O-M, seafood.com. And we have a, we have a, a selection of live Dungeons crab for you to pick that's there. And we'll deliver to next day air. So it'll be at your door uh, tomorrow morning uh, after you place your order. Uh, you can use actually discount code FATHOM10, F-A-T-H-O-M-10, for 10% off your first order. Wow, how about that? Right here on the Oxstone yeah, well, Radio just, Show. Hey, just so you know, we have a million listeners, so uh, you're going to have a lot of calls. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. <laughs> All right, that's been Matt Way of Fathom Seafood, who's joined us. Uh, he's going to stay, Terry, and challenge us. He has thrown down oh. the gauntlet, challenge us in our Rub With Love Food For Thought Tasty Trivia. And wow. so, yeah, he's talking big over here. Like, see some sort yeah, of crap, man. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society show. Stay with us for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society show. Thank you for listening for all two hours. We love it. Uh, when you're not able to listen to us live, you certainly can find us in our podcast mode online, anywhere you get your favorite podcast. Uh, let's jump into Rub With Love Tasty Trivia. Rub With Love Tasty Trivia is brought to you, oddly enough, by Rub With Love Spice Rubs, handcrafted, versatile rubs, sauces, and mustards that add a flavorful kick and a whole lot of love to just about any meat, fish, or vegetable. Look for Rub With Love products in your local grocery store, online, or butcher shops, or Bartels, or 5,000 stores around our country uh, represent our product. We're really proud of that. Uh, our prize today, Pamela, who's, who's won it and what's the prize? Well, we've got to mail it to Rosemary Farentino, who's listening from Santa Monica. And she's going to get a, a treat uh, for Mother's Day that is a little bit uh, surf and turf from Rub With Love. So it will include the crab cake mix, the spicy Tokyo rub, and the steak rub, all inspired by um, Matt Way 
from Fathom Seafood. You can make crab cakes for Mother's Day using the easy recipe on the lid of the crab cake mix. There you go. Nice. And now we Thank need, you. Uh, just for Matt's sake, we'll go over the rules of the game. There's five questions for each participant, and the loser has to pay for the shipping of the prize to the winner. <laughs> so I hope you brought some money. I hope you brought some cash. Sometimes it goes up to like seven dollars and fifty cents. Uh, uh, can I wash dishes at your kitchen? Can wash dishes? Uh, yeah, that's yes, absolutely. <laughs> If uh, Matt is shipping crab too, it's going to be expensive. Oh, yeah. You have to throw in a crab. <laughs> wow. um, All right. I'll start. Okay. Terry, Terry's number one. What are the most common liquids that chefs need to clarify? Uh, well, to make a consomme, you got to clarify your stock. Yes. The second one they suggested uh, was also rendered fats, although I've never been brave enough to clarify a fat. Clarify the fat. Don't yeah, pour no, water into it. Right. Whatever you do. <laughs> no, no, it's, 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 it's actually, I don't know if it's the exact right term, but yes, I can see yeah. what they're saying. <laughs> I'm using uh, today the Food Lover's Companion. There's a lot of tasty oh, trivia good. in there. Number two, what do the Brits call French fries? Hey, obviously, it's a trick question. They only so drink French be, champagne. Not going to be potatoes. Uh, how about, uh, I don't know, frog legs? Chips. Chips, dude. Chips. <laughs> chips. Okay, chips. never mind. They call them chips. I was, looking, I was looking way too hard in something different. <laughs> and they call their potato chips crisps. Number three. Oh, I got it. What, are, what is the name of the most popular hard Chinese sausage in this country? Ooh, that's a tough one for Chef Terry. I know that off the top of my tongue. but The hardest... Chinese sausage. Most popular, hard yeah, Chinese I've seen sausage. It. I just don't know the name of it. I have no... I can't give you the name of it. I, I've had it, but I can't give you the name of you it. You can find a piece right in the middle of a Normai guy. You know what a Normai guy is? Yeah, but I don't know the name of the sausage. Lupchong. Lupchong. Oh, yeah. Lup Maybe Chong. these were Sorry. supposed to be Tom's questions. Oh, well. Okay, number four. <laughs> I'm helping out my buddy. <laughs> name one or two spices in the popular Ethiopian spice blend... Bear, 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 bear. <laughs> Shawa, shawarma? That's, well, that's not a spice. That's, that's actually a meat. The spice in it. One, one, of the, one or two of the spices that are typically in uh, it. Hot chili. Yep. And coriander. Yes. Nice job, chef. Nice job. And uh, this one's especially for you. What are some of the most popular purported foods thought to be aphrodisiacs? <laughs> I love when you go, that's one for you. Uh, oysters. Yep. Okay, three right, two wrong. Matt, I stacked the deck for you. They're all seafood questions. No. Oh, how, how many legs does a Dungeness <laughs> crab have? At least six. Excluding <laughs> <laughs> the clause eight. <laughs> yes. So. The comical-looking gooey deck... Is part of which crustacean family? Uh, that would be uh, mollusk. Mollusk, or is that the same as clam? Clam, right. So that's a yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Is, is that the same as clam? Because oh, they actually give you the answer, clam, not mollusk. Um, tuna is a member of the mackerel family. True or false? I mean, they're both fish. <laughs> and they both swim, and they're both absolutely delicious. 
Uh, true. True. Woo-hoo. Yes, three for three. Uh, number four. Nice Sur- guess, Matt. <laughs> Surimi, the name for formed fish, is most commonly made from what fish? I, I know the answer. I believe it's either hake or pollock. Pollock for the win. Pollock. Pollock. Wild Alaskan four. pollock. I hate when our guests come on and just trash us. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Makes us look really good. And finally... During which season do oysters spawn? Um, the spawning season for oysters, it actually depends on a number of things like temperature, of how warm the water gets. But typically it starts in the summer, so you'll yes. start like May till June, July, August. Yes. That time. Five for five, clearly in the lead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Clearly, <laughs> clearly. Clearly we're in trouble, Chef. Hi, Tom. Hi, Pamela. Um, uh, Thanks for giving our seafood guy all seafood (laughs) questions. That's really nice. I know. The pod pea is a pea that is completely edible. Name one or two varieties of a pod pea. A sugar snap. Yes. What's the other one? Uh, Snow pea. Yes. Does the aromatic vanilla bean grow from an orchid or a lily? An orchid. You're doing good today. If you are going to oh. sweat an ingredient, what is your process? I lay over a pan and do push-ups. <laughs> Ick. <laughs> a very low saute. Not, not a high sear, but a, a low saute. Okay. Number four, pressing tree-ripened olives for olive oil produces many quality levels. What type is considered the top quality? Mm, boy, the extra virgin. Yeah. yeah. Extra virgin cold press because it is a chemical-free process that involves only pressure. And, and you know, sometimes they only uh, will use just the weight of the olives to get that first press. Last one. Uh, I think you might be soaring into victory. What are the essential ingredients in hollandaise sauce? Essential. <laughs> well, it depends on if I bet Chef Terry and I would have two different answers to this. Well, let's hear yours first to see. Well, if obviously, you're win. Uh, the two essentials are eggs and butter. Yes. And then yeah. uh, I like That's a little it. dash of Tabasco. I like quite a bit of lemon juice and some salt. So lemon is the third one. That's there right. There is no Tabasco. There is no. There tabasco is no in Tabasco. Hollandaise. That's what I'm saying. I thought we would have a little. A little cayenne pepper. No, there pepper. is no Tabasco in Hollandaise. Hollandaise Whatever. is no, I egg like a yolks, little... lemon, and butter. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. I think we've got to give him a no because you got to put the yes. lemon in. I said lemon. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All I right. think I just got worked out of a, a tie for the lead. What that does mean is Chef Terry is going to be our loser today. Congratulations, Matt. Way for uh, dusting Chef yeah, Terry. Congratulations. And uh, myself. And then... Uh, so Terry has to pay the $7.59 to ship the Rub With Love package to Santa Monica. We, we really like that. Chef, you can just make the check out to me. I'll front you the cash. Okay. M-E or M? M-E. Yes. Uh, if you want to be okay. part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You're listening to us on Cairo Radio. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Sound and production by Sean McFadden. And our editor, our longtime editor, is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Also, remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. 
Thanks for listening and happy Mother's Day. Hey!